What a tremendous week this has been. I mean, it's been an extraordinary week. And uh, I don't know about you, but I personally uh, was very excited and intrigued and fascinated by this this whole election thing in the, the U.S. Phyllis and I have been following it for some months, and we've really got quite involved in it. Naturally, we have a daughter over in California, and we have friends in Chicago, and so we've kind of really... Uh, done everything but the voting kind of thing. And I just thought it was such a tremendous result. That's my own personal opinion, and you don't have to agree with me. But I thought it was a tremendous result that uh, Barack Obama uh, was elected as president. And I am, you know, I, I, like all of us, we're, we're not naive or foolish or underestimating the size of the, the crises that the world, our world, is facing. But I really felt like God had come in and, and as far as one nation was concerned, and had blessed them. I felt that they were a blessed people. And so I would invite you, please, just to, uh, just to pray for Barack Obama, and I'd like to just do that now. Father, we want to say thank you to you for the way the American nation has conducted itself during this campaign. Uh, I thank you for the grace that John McCain showed in his concession to Barack Obama. And I thank you, Lord God, for that presidential spirit that almost tangibly seems to be resting on Barack Obama. We ask your blessing and protection upon his family. And we pray, Lord God, that, uh, that you would exercise justice and mercy through him and that nation. And that, Lord God, you would cause this season for that nation to be a time of, of blessing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm pleased to do that. I get very caught up with the American theme because of a family connection. And uh, not that I bring it here, but at home. And I get so frustrated sometimes. But I, I was delighted with that, as I've just said. This week's been an amazing week. Last Sunday, I was up in Stevenage with Fliss, and, and, and we were visiting um, the Stevenage Vineyard, which we had uh, planted out 10 years ago. And then on, uh, I think it was Wednesday, uh, we were up in London at a uh, conference. All the staff went for leaders, and uh, a chap called Bill Hybels, the leader of the Willow Creek Church, some of you know of him, we, we partnered with his organization, a number of things, was doing a conference there. And then... In the middle of all of that, Bill Hybels had to go off and do an interview with Bono. How many of you saw that interview with, between Bill Hybels and Bono two years ago? It was absolutely tremendous. Well, the good news is there's going to be a follow-up to that interview at our Global Leadership Summit next, next uh, September, October. So we're looking forward to that. Anyway, Bill Hybels had to go off and, and do that. So I got roped in with a couple of my buddies to sort of chair a panel. And I tell you... You know, people had, were all excited about seeing Bill Hybels and their faces as I got onto the platform, almost as bad as yours are now, actually, but, but uh, they were delighted to see Chris Lane from St. Albans, I can tell you. But um, they were very gracious, we had a good time, uh, and then yesterday, if that wasn't enough, we had a regional conference here, which, uh, well, I think it, it left us all exhausted, you know, there were great bits, there were some not so great bits, and... And I just want to say thank you to our staff here and all our volunteer teams uh, for helping us and serving and showing hospitality. It was a pretty exhausting week. So funnily enough, coming to this moment and this time, you'd think I was exhausted, but I'm not exhausted. I feel energized. I actually, actually feel energized. 
I'm excited about the word I want to bring to you because, because I believe it's something that, that could, for some of you, be a breakthrough moment. And I mean that absolutely sincerely. We are doing a, a series called Beyond. We've been trekking through it over the last few weeks. And, and today, I'm going to be talking on Beyond Charity. And uh, it, it's, it's a course, really, that's designed to help those of you who are already on the journey, but it will be... It will be interesting and thought-provoking for those who've yet to sort of commit to Christ. But it's a course designed to take you deeper. So we've looked at subjects like, um, you know, beyond words. Just going deeper, letting our Christian faith affect the way we behave out there. We've, we've looked at, at issues of, you know, loving God beyond duty, doing the minimum. Very often I, I find that in my own walk with God, I want to find what's the, what's the least I have to do. To get by. And, and that is so, so inappropriate. God deserves our everything. He has given us everything. We owe him everything. And, and, and so it, that's, that sort of spirit of generosity needs to well up within us. Today's talk is actually about giving our use of money. You know, this is very much in our thinking and our news. Some of us are concerned about our jobs and our security. Some of us are concerned here about our our credit card debt and all the rest of it. Some of us are concerned about the, you know, our pensions and and, and our kids and our mortgages and our homes. You know, there's there's great, there's a lot of fuel for anxiety. And I said a few weeks ago in this series, you know, that actually in Christ... We, 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 we may or may not have cause for optimism. Optimism is something we come up with when we are aware of certain facts. You know, you can look at you know, a project you're involved in. You can, you can look at your budget, if you like, and you can say, well, if I put that aside there and I, and I don't spend that on that, then I'll have this for that. And there's a, there's a cause for optimism. But actually, in faith and in Christ, we have something more powerful than that, and that is hope. God brings us hope, and hope is not conditional upon circumstances. And when that hope is, is actually resting and leaning into God's promises, then it, it may look foolish to the world, but actually extraordinary things begin to happen. I'm going to make passing reference this morning to tithing. Many of you know what that is. Giving 10% of your income to God. For some of you already do that. Some of you have thought about it and aren't there yet. Some of you have never heard about it. Well, I'm going to talk briefly about that. It's not going to be a full-on teaching about tithing, but it is about this whole business of giving, giving our finances, giving our resources to God. And as always, as always in this subject, I always say this, if you are struggling, if you are looking down or have fallen into a black hole, in terms of your finances, well then help is available to you. We do have a wonderful ministry here that goes quietly on and uh, it's called our money management ministry. Now the leaflets are on the you know, welcome desk, you can check it out on the website and, and we have gifted people, people who have been trained in the whole area of budgeting and sometimes even advocacy. We, our people, have gone and acted as advocates uh, on behalf of struggling members and had you know, interesting things, 
rearranged and stood in court when there were you know, court judgments and, and argued a case. There is help available. So, so please do not despair. There is a way out of this. And, uh, and now as we, as we begin to think about this matter, instead of pretending it doesn't exist, we don't want to hide our head in the sand. Let's try and approach this from a kingdom perspective. Let's get things the right way up. Let's approach this with faith, with hope, not just with wishful thinking, and see what God's principles and, and what he might be, be offering us and challenging us to, to take a step into the unknown, a step of faith, as it were. So let's just pray, and then I want to show you a little video clip, which hopefully will amuse you but help set the scene. Father, I want to say thank you to you as, well, thank you as from, uh, just as a leader of a family. Lord, we've, we've ourselves known the joy and freedom and, and empowerment that tithing has brought for nearly 30 years. You have proved faithful. And Lord, there were times when we wondered how we would, uh, we would pay the rent. Times when we, would wa- we wondered how we would actually just pay the utility bills. Times when my wife wept because we couldn't afford to send our kids on that school trip. And we were embarrassed for them and felt ashamed. But Lord God, you have proved faithful to us. And Lord, we've clung to you. And we thank you for your grace and your goodness and the way you keep your promises. And now Lord, speak to us please. Set us free from this fear, from this grip, this black thing that threatens to overwhelm us. And everyone said, Amen. Let's just run this little video clip. Chris, there should be a, it's, I think it's called God's Pie on a USB stick. Okay, we won't, run the, we, we, won't, we won't run that clip then. Okay, thank you. Let's go on to the next thing. Sorry about that, folks. Um, have I got a, a verse of scripture from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44? No? Okay, right. <laughs> You know, this never happens unless I'm talking about money, you know, it really is. If you've got a Bible, if you haven't, share with your neighbor, turn with me please, it's fine, bless you Chris, Um, thank you very much. Turn with me please to Mark chapter 12 verses 41 to 44. This is a story of Jesus and you know, um, one of the things that I love doing when I'm teaching is, is, is tell the stories of Jesus. You know, let's see how Jesus coped in this situation, what he did. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Do you know, I'm really sorry, but that precious little one over there is really disturbing me. Could we please just um, maybe take her into one of the nursery rooms or something like that? Somebody help me here. 
Thank you. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't uh, concentrate. I apologize for that. Thank you. Good. You know, one of the things that I've discovered about the whole business of giving is that God is faithful. And I was reminded, I was speaking at this, uh, this thing yesterday, of a story. I'd forgotten it, actually. You know how you forget the things that God does for you? I, I really encourage you to journal and to put these things down in a paper. But, but as I was preparing for this talk yesterday, I, I remembered this extraordinary event in my life where, where God came through in a really powerful and tangible way. This morning I'm wearing a little dinky ring with a diamond in it. It's not actually my favorite one, but it's a part of this story. So if you've seen this diamond glittering on my finger, it's not because I'm running off with the church finances. It's because it's part of this story. My father died when I was about 12, and my mother married very quickly afterwards. And, you know, I was coping with all of that, and and, and, and my mother met another man very, uh, within about six months, and within nine months she was married. And it was a pretty difficult time, I have to say, and you know, needless to say, there were some problems in my teen years. But one of the things my, my parents, my parent, my mother, and other relatives seemed keen to impress upon me was the fact that even though my mother was remarrying and, and my stepfather had two sons, you know, we would get my father's inheritance. Well, I barely knew what that meant, you know. But they wanted to me to know that, you know, when, when, uh, when my mother died, uh, you know, then we would get, uh, uh, you know, our fair share. And it was very sweet of them, and it was obviously very important to them. And at that stage, it, as I say, it was, look, my dad just died, and I got a stepfather. What are you talking to me about inheritance, you know? But they wanted to say this, and this was a theme, a kind of a refrain that kept sort of occurring as I grew up. And, uh, you know, my mother used to say to me, don't worry, when you die, uh, you know, you and Tilly, Tilly is my sister, um, you'll get the inheritance. Now, my mother died very suddenly. She was a very, very fit lady and uh, an amazing 69-year-old. And uh, she died just like that. And uh, it turned out she hadn't made a will. Now, those of you who know about these things know that that can cause all sorts of problems. So maybe there's a lesson there. You know, make a will. And uh, again, you know, I, to be honest with you, wasn't really thinking much about the inheritance thing. We were just trying to cope with the reality of my mother's sudden death and all that that entailed. Anyway, after a few months, uh, I, I had a little bit of a chat with my sister and said, you know, has my stepfather said anything to you or what, what, what the plans are and what's going to happen? Anyway, I wrote a letter to my stepfather and said, you know, uh, Peter, um, we're still trying to process this thing, and I'm a little confused. I, I'm not sure what this means. We're not, we're, you know, we don't need money at the moment, but, but what, what, what arrangements, what, what thoughts have there been about Tilly and my inheritance? Now, there was a, I got a letter back very smartly, and I won't bother to go into all the gory detail, but needless to say, it ended up with me getting a final letter from him, and basically it was saying, tough. My son's going to get the inheritance. Tough. It was a hard letter to get, I tell you. And it, I don't know, I can't honestly say to you whether it probably would have been an issue, but the fact that all through my youth I kept being told that I'd get this inheritance, it was probably about six quid and a, you know, a, a video series of the world at war or something. I don't know what that inheritance meant, but, but all through my youth I'd been told this. And I was angry, I'll be honest with you. I got it on a Monday morning. And I was boiling. And I, I went into, uh, we were living at the old house, and, 
I went into my little prayer room place and I got on my face before God and I said, God, I've got such a bad attitude about this. It's probably a hill of beans anyway, but I feel robbed. I feel ripped off. I feel, uh, all, I feel abandoned. A whole load of things came welling up in me. God, and, and, and how can this be? Uh, how, can, how, can, how could you let this happen? You, inheritance matters to you. It's a major theme of the scriptures. Uh, it was just a blur. It was venting. It was all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I kind of vented sufficiently. And then finally, Fliss, you know, she tapped on the door and says, we ought to be going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sweetheart. And what she was referring to was that day we had arranged to do our annual visit to our, my old, dear old music drama teacher. And uh, it was down in Newbury. We do this once a year. And he's an absolute sweetheart. We kept in touch. And we have... Go and have lunch with him in a pub, and he's getting on a bit now. And then it's a very amusing bit of a raconteur, you know, tells a few stories, and then we drive back. And I said, Okay, yeah. So you know, pull yourself together, and thinking, flipping heck, you know, I hadn't even had time to talk to my sister about it. So we go down to Newbury, and I'm talking to Fliss, as you do, and so driving all about this thing. Saying, oh, and I, I just can't make any sense of this. I, I, you know, and it was just lots of pain and anger and all that kind of stuff. We go and have lunch, and as we Come back to my music teacher's, his name's Michael, Michael's house. He, we're going in, he says, Chris, I want to have a quick word with you. And I said, okay. It's usually very light and up. And uh, he took me, he kind of peeled me off into this formal dining room. It's only a little house, but so it was an old chap, and he's got this kind of dining room there with the, you know, sort of, you know, the crystal and stuff and his best china, and it's a bit cold. You know, as, as grandparents do, you know. That kind of, that generation. And he's sort of shambling about I thought, what's the matter with him? Is he, I actually thought he was going to tell me that he had some disease. He, he'd been diagnosed with some, some kind of, you know, horrible disease. And I said, what is it, Michael? What is it? And he said, well, um, well, I'm a bachelor. I don't have an heir. I would love to make you my heir. And if you'll honor me with that, and in token of which, I'd like to give you this diamond ring. Have you got this, what I'm saying to you? I mean, I mean that offer in itself was staggering. But the, and he didn't know. He knew nothing about this. This was just private family stuff. But that that morning I had lost a promised inheritance. And I'd laid it before God. And by 2.45 the same day, I had another inheritance sealed with a diamond ring. I tell you, God is faithful. There is another economy running here, folks. Some of us are living in the old economy but there is another economy. And that's really what I want to allude to. My prayer for you is that you will, there will be a bit of a breakthrough for you. That you will dare to explore. Even if, it's, even if you can't do it straight away. But make plans to explore God's economy. Because there is, believe me, another economy. So Jesus is, is watching the people putting their offerings into the scriptures. Uh, 
sorry, <laughs> into the, into the um, offering bowls in the temple. And the first thing is that I want to say, verse 41 in all of this, is that I, I find it a little unnerving that Jesus was watching, don't you? You know, Jesus sat down opposite the place, verse 41, where the offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching the way I, I use my resources. You know, Jim Wallace, who is a great Christian advocate and a, a great Christian thinker when it comes to issues of justice, he says of nations that budgets are moral documents. That's true in, at a personal level. Your budget, how you allocate resources, it's a moral document. What you apportion to this and what you apportion to that. What, you know, and it says something about your value system. Jesus is watching with great interest how we how this nation, how this church budgets. Do we have a bias for the poor? Is there a spirit of generosity? Are we walking in faith or fear? Oh, just got to have more, oh, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. It's a, it's a powerful spiritual issue. As I've often said, and many of you will blank out for a moment when I say this, you know, the, the primary teaching subject that Jesus had was the kingdom of God. The next one was money and our use of resources. He described it as an idol, as a power that is wanting to ensnare us. Maybe this morning you feel ensnared. Maybe you feel captured. Maybe you held, feel held captive by issues of finance. There is help. There is a future. So Jesus is watching. Secondly, that goes on to say, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Jesus noted the amount. Amounts matter. Again, it, it, it expresses the priorities in our life. Now, we teach tithing in this church. We teach that if you're, if you're going on with Jesus and if you're, if you're wanting to, to, you know, just to uh, move on and... and and grow in faith, at some point you need to exercise faith in the whole business of giving. And we say, well, let's start with the tithe. We, we don't say, let's stop with the tithe. If everything is God's, well, then maybe God should have everything. Maybe we should live on 10% and give God 90%. But you know, as, a, as a beginner's step, let's orchestrate our budget around the tithing. Now, for some of you, and I, I'm... I'm I know that that will, given your finances, as of this moment, that would be just an impossible dream. You'd love to do that, but it is impossible. But that's not an excuse to close the door and walk away from this. Make plans so that in 18 months' time, you can begin to tithe. But give something. The amount matters. It really does. But the main thing I want to say about this is, is what it says in the next little passage. It says in verse 43 onwards, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She went beyond charity. You know, uh, I, I have a little poppy and I see a number of them and I put a few coins in at Morrison's and got a poppy thing. And, 
Uh, and that's charity. Charity is something we exercise. It's a discretionary thing. But I'm talking beyond charity. Th- th- this is about, are we a kingdom people or not? Or are we just giving God a few coins? It, 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 does he get the leftovers? Does he get something if we're feeling a bit good and we had a bit of a good week and so we're going to give God a little bit of money there? Thank you, God. You know, way to go. Uh, you look after me and I'll look back. I'll look right by you. That kind of thing. Do you know, uh, I'm not knocking it, but that, that is a step sometimes. That's part of the journey maybe. And that's maybe where you're, you're coming to. Maybe that's where you are. That's okay. But actually, you know, God, God calls us to surrender. Many of our songs talk about surrender. We sang this morning, I noticed, I didn't even ask Henry, to put that into the set, we talked about giving him our everything. And we sing that joyfully and willingly and heartily. And it wasn't it a wonderful worship set this morning? Wasn't there just a, a lightness of spirit? I'd say it did me a power of good, you know. And we sing this, and, and, and we don't think any, you know, and it, we know it's appropriate, but when the rubber hits the road, you know, my gosh, it's a different matter. But, you know, in this whole business of going deeper, going beyond, there is a kind of a, a progress. Uh, and I'll use myself you know, very briefly as a kind of an example here, but I'm sure this is true for many of us. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian family, but for whatever reason, this may not be true for you. I always believed in God. I don't know why that was. We didn't talk about God. We didn't go to church. We didn't read. I, I don't think I ever saw a Bible in my, church, in my home. But I don't know where I got that from, but I was one of these people who always believed in God, didn't know what God was or anything. So, so that was where I was. But then when I was about 12 or something like that, I actually, I actually became a Christian. Jesus became my savior. It was no longer God. It was, there was a name. It was Jesus. Jesus became my savior. And fairly quickly after that wonderful moment, that, that season where I began to discover the truth that Jesus has died for my sins, and, and now, and now, and now there is a hope in my life that I will know eternity in his presence. The joy of heaven. You know, that, that's something that walks and lives and, and, and breathes in me, that hope. But after a little while, I moved on from that, that, that sort of sense of Jesus is my savior to Jesus is my helper. Jesus has become such an integral part of my life that actually, you know, I go through every part of the day. And I know many of us here in this place where, where Jesus is ever present with me, where Jesus is, he helps me find a parking space. Ever prayed that? No. Scary, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Ever prayed that you won't run out of petrol when you really should have put it in at the last petrol station? Anybody ever prayed that one? Yeah. It's like Jesus is right. Uh, Jesus is no longer God, who I think about sometimes when there's a lovely sunset. I've moved beyond, as it were, the first encounter with the cross where I know that Jesus has died for me. And now Jesus is part of my everyday life. He's my helper. He stands alongside but you know, there's a step that many Christians do never get to, which is beyond that. And Paul summed it up in Acts 20. I, I'm not sure whether we can have it up, but I'll read it to you. Acts 20, verse 24, where, the, where Paul the Apostle wrote much of the New Testament, says this. I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only, 
If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. He's moved beyond that step of God and Jesus my Savior and Jesus my helper, please find me a parking space. He's actually come again, as it were, full circle to the foot of the cross where he suddenly has this revelation that we are talking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead, through whom all things were created, through whom all things live and move and have their being through whom and before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. It's a step beyond Jesus, my best mate, who helps me find parking spaces, gets me that promotion. It's a step beyond that. And frankly, folks, it's a step that many of us don't make. We stay in the Jesus is my helper place. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's reality. But there is a step. Those of you who are hungry to go deeper, do you know what you're asking? Do you know what you're aspiring to? Where you're no longer saying, God, these are my plans for this year. Bless them, please, God. You're saying, what are your plans, Father, and can I help? Maybe I can, maybe I can't. But if I can be of any help, that would be cool. It's a step beyond. It's a scary place where Jesus becomes the center of the universe instead of you or me being the center of the universe. But as we look beyond that, you know, that's, that's really what that dear little old widow had learnt. You know, she, she hadn't the airs and graces of those rich and wealthy people who were putting in large sums of money. She kind of probably got jostled out the way as she approached the, the offering there in the court of the Gentiles in the temple in Jerusalem. And she put in these two small coins. Maybe you put two small coins in this morning. But for her, Jesus commended her. Because he knew that this was everything. Everything. And you know, when I teach on this in the past, as I've said already this morning, if I, and I'm not going to do this because I don't embarrass myself, but if, I, if at the start of this sermon I'd said, okay guys, settle down, settle down, tell me, who believes that Jesus is your everything? I know a forest of hands would have gone up. But when I actually say, well, let's start with 10%, people start looking away and fidgeting and being awkward. God, if you're serious about going deeper, do you know what you're asking? I don't want to drive you away. Please, God, I don't. But as we do that, as we break through, something extraordinary happens. It literally is a breakthrough. Because those wealthy people in the temple that day when Jesus was watching, they would have to go back and they had to meet with their managers and they probably had a meeting with, with one or two other businessmen later on the afternoon and, the, and they had to work out how they were going to do it. That little old woman went back to her home and who knows, did she have family or didn't she have family? But you know, she went back with something more than they had. 
Because she went back, having stepped into that place, that powerful, crazy, dynamic place called faith. It is an extraordinary place. It's a place where inheritances are restored. It's a place where there is provision. It's a place where God seems to take care of little things as well as big things. I want to tell you the truth. It is not a place where everything is certainty. Sometimes provision comes at the 11th hour. Sometimes provision doesn't appear to come. And all seems to be terrifying and scary. And then God comes through. But it is a place that actually is familiar with the saints of old. It's a place that they have visited, a place where they have gone before. It's a place where every, every step is a step of obedience, a step of empowerment, a step of, of dependence upon God. As I said, you know, Fliss and I have, have, have walked this way, as indeed many of you have for years, and, and know the extraordinary freedom that comes of trusting God for our future, trusting God in our finances. And do you know what one the, how it began with me? Uh, just a little practical thing. Before I started tithing, I never budgeted. I, I had a business. I had lots of money. I didn't need to budget. Every now and then I got a letter from the bank manager, which was a bit, a bit unnerving, but usually juggled things around, made a bit more money. I didn't have to budget. When I started to tithe, I started to have to ask the question, well, how much do I earn? And I started working out what I was spending money on. And instead of money controlling me, and I hadn't realized that he was, or or it was like that, I realized that finally, because of God and because of my obedience to him, I was beginning to exercise control over money. And there are people sat here who are in control of their finances. Are they high rollers and big earners? No. There may be people who are high rollers and big earners here this morning, and actually you are out of control. Your money and your debts are mounting up, and you couldn't tell me now what your, what your debt amounts to. Who's got who? What God wants for us is actually freedom from that, to be in control, whether we're high earners or low earners. What God wants is a breakthrough. God wants us to go beyond, beyond the charity, doing God a favor, asking for a parking space. God wants us to know that freedom that comes from a kingdom budgeting, some kingdom priorities, and a kingdom understanding of what God can and will do. Let me just pray. Father God, I remember Brian Ellis. I thank you for Brian Ellis, a faithful servant of yours, 18 years in the, in the city as a priest. I remember his comment to me when I asked him what was the biggest obstacle to true discipleship. And there he was in the inner city, surrounded by people on the dole and low-income earners. And he said it was people's attitude to money. If they can get that right, they break through. Lord, this is a journey some of us have walked. May we be caring and loving and helpful and sensitive to others. But please, dear God, pray that you would have mercy upon us and that this place 
would become a, a place of lightness and joy, just as we've already experienced this morning in this whole area of finances, where those of us who need help would ask for help and receive help. Those who have resources, have jobs, would, would manage them well and budget well. That this place may be a place of generosity and lightness of spirit, a place where we've gone beyond, where we've pressed on in. We've, we've laid down our lives and come to the cross again. And everyone said, Amen. Let me have the worship team back up and, and just finish. Once again, I'm very conscious when I preach on this subject that it stirs up a lot of emotions. And for some of you, there's p- panic and fear, despair. Please, please, please go onto our website. Please talk to us. Let us help you. Let us help you work through this thing, pray with you, and see, see whether we can't all be free. Thank you, Henry.